Welcome to the official podcast of The Unsexy Startup with your host, Samai Parikh. This is the platform that unites founders and talks about what it truly takes to build a company, not just the highlights. And a huge thanks to Raj Singh for helping me put this podcast together. If this is your first time listening, The Unsexy Startup was created for aspiring and current entrepreneurs. We focus on sharing stories of successful founders and how they overcame the growing and unsexy pains of an early stage company. The bigger goal is to install our audience with more resilience and grit. On this episode, we have founder and CEO Daniel Chait on to talk about emotional intelligence and its significance within your company through uncertain times. With clients such as Airbnb, Pinterest, Twilio, and Evernote, Greenhouse is the future of applicant tracking systems for companies. It automates and measures all your sourcing activity, including social media, referrals, job boards, and in-person events and meetups. And Greenhouse improves your team's interviewing skills with an all-in-one interview kit that brings together all the information you need into one simple web page. Daniel, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. It's truly a pleasure to have you here. Thanks a lot, Samai. Great to be here. So let's dive right into the questions. Daniel, please tell us more about your background and how you transitioned into starting Greenhouse. Sure. So I've been an entrepreneur almost my entire career. Uh, I started as a software engineer. I have an undergraduate degree in computer engineering from the University of Michigan. And I began my career as a programmer. How I came into this world, uh, kind of interesting, I had started a software consulting business so we were focused on delivering kind of high-end custom software innovation on Wall Street. And when I started the company, I had two friends who were also software engineers. And the three of us together started doing you know, really cool projects for, for our customers, but very quickly realized that if we wanted to grow our consulting business, there was tons of appetite for the type of service that we were offering, but the ability to actually supply it was was the whole challenge that you know, if we could find unbelievable talent, uh, you know, that, that we could do anything. Um, and so quickly really realized that I had to out-recruit Wall Street for Wall Street talent. Um, I had to find people that Wall Street wasn't looking for. I had to find them before they found them. I had to make smarter decisions about who to hire. And so very quickly, like, approached it like the most kind of competitive strategic aspect of my business and really never saw HR and recruiting through the lens of kind of administrative work you know, or kind of like paperwork or compliance. None of that was really in my mind. I just really thought like, I got to compete and win. I got to find people and convince them to work on my company um, and, and as a matter of survival. And so I did that for many years. I ended up running uh, HR, all of HR and, and including recruiting for my, my company for the better part of the decade. And so through that experience, I really learned what it takes to win at hiring and how a winning hiring culture can be such a competitive weapon. And then as we were thinking about Greenhouse, you know, it became clear to me that like when you look at a company that has a competitive winning hiring culture, that's a strength of the business, that's an asset and, and helps you, you know, you know, achieve your goals. You know, it, it looks and feels very different than at most other companies. And so our kind of key thing with Greenhouse was, you know, how do we build the type of tools that lets every company build a winning hiring culture and empower everyone in the organization to sort of move in the same direction and help you kind of get ahead of the competition and stay ahead of the competition as you compete for talent. So that's pretty interesting, actually. And, and with starting Greenhouse, Daniel, what was the sexiest moment and the most euphoric high you felt up to this point as an entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I've been a, I've been a programmer my whole life. And, you know, for me, the magic is really that you can kind of conjure an idea out of thin air 
sit at this kind of computer in your own head and sort of type like he, as if you're writing a letter to someone or, or any other kind of just like creative exercise, but that at the end of it, someone else using it, like getting value out of it, appreciating it, that's really the magic moment for me. And so for me, the first, probably the most memorable time I'll, I'll say uh, here at Greenhouse was the first time I was on an airplane and, you know, I had gotten up to go to the back of the plane and as I'm walking back to my seat, you see everyone on their laptops and on the Wi-Fi doing things. And I saw someone using Greenhouse. And I was like, man, that's really cool. Like, here we are, like 30,000 feet in the air over the country. And there's someone somewhere has decided proactively to like use this product out of all the choices that they have and they're spending their time like in our product like making making it happen that was really really neat that's i'm actually i actually have a huge smile on my face hearing that it's like you wouldn't expect seeing that walking to your seat in midair and seeing somebody use greenhouse and, and you wouldn't even expect it yeah like somehow somehow that seemed to me like okay this is real like now we actually have a real you know, people use Excel on airplanes. People use PowerPoint on airplanes. People don't use my thing. Like, what? I was like, yeah, we're a, we're a productivity tool for, like, tens of thousands of people every day. And, and that somehow illustrated to me in a very real way that, like, you know, we, in some sense, produced something for the world that was, that was real. So for our listeners and stating, again, this is one of the few platforms where they can take in and understand the growing pains of a company. So let's quickly switch to the unsexy parts of a company that helped build and equip you with more emotional intelligence. Share one of those unsexy times growing your startup, which actually taught you to build that emotional intelligence piece. I mean, I love the question and I love the, I love the perspective that you guys take because I think the world is full of uh, uh, there's a kind of whole like industry geared at making every latest startup seem like an awesome adventure and we're crushing it and we raise more money than we wanted to and everybody like loves us because that's what people are very like incentivized to say. But I think the real learning is always in in the day to day struggle and, and anyone who's been entrepreneurial will tell you that like almost all the time you know you're struggling so. You know, you can call out any day of the week. You look at you look at what I do all day, and it's mostly just banging a hammer against a piece of rock and trying to make something happen. It's like very difficult and time consuming and tedious, and and like it's a struggle. Um, but I can think of I, I can think of maybe maybe one moment that that to, to me as a leader was was a real challenge. Um, and specifically the way the way you asked the question, you know, thinking about emotional intelligence. Uh, in the summer of 2016, as you may remember, there was a lot of kind of this whole national conversation was happening where there was a lot of struggle in the news and people were seeing um, uh, you know, young black men being shot by the police. There was protests. There was counter protests. There was a lot of political strife. And it was really upsetting uh, to, to a lot of people. And we started seeing that at the office you know, we talk about bringing your whole self to work and, you know, the fact that we have such a people centric culture and yet this wasn't really part of the conversation. People at work were really only talking about work stuff. And and for so many of us, like the things around us, the, the broader culture and the news and, and politics were really having an impact. And people wanted to people wanted to know, like, are the people around me unaware? Do they are they aware, but they don't care? Are they just like me, but no one's saying anything? Like, what's going on? And. As a leader, I think it was particularly difficult for me to understand the perspective of, of many of the employees because, let's face it, I'm a 44-year-old white guy who's been uh, 
you know, in, you know, in, in professional settings for, for, you know, a couple decades, like I, and I've always been the boss. I've always been an entrepreneur. So the feeling of like, what does my boss think of me? What do my coworkers think of me? You know, do I fit in with this company? Like I, I don't experience those in the same way and haven't for a long time. And so I kind of felt like we should do something as a company, but like, I don't have the answer. Like I'm the leader. Aren't I supposed to have the answer to the question? And like, how can I stand up in front of the company and give a big speech around, here's the solution to America's race problems. Like, here's the way that our politics are going to get more constructive. Like, I don't know how to answer those questions. And I was kind of terrified of like, what, what's my job as a leader and how can I do these things? Um, and thankfully, we have a lot of really smart people here really open to talking. And so I had the opportunity to sit down with a couple of our employees um, and, ask, and, and I just took the opportunity to ask them. And I said, hey, like, you know, you're someone who is, you know, you're, you're black, you're gay, you're a woman, you're a minority, you're young. Uh, what are you thinking about and what would help you and what could I be, what, what possibly could I as a leader be doing to sort of make you feel better and more more included? And really it was, it was the simplest thing that never in a million years would have occurred to me, but was so obvious as soon as they said it, they said, look, what we want to know is, is there a safe space for us to talk to each other amongst our friends and colleagues that are here at work about things that are on our mind? And it wasn't at all about me. They didn't want to hear me talk. They didn't want to hear me give answers. They didn't need to ask me questions. What they wanted me to do was to open up a space where they could connect with each other. And as soon as I heard that, it was so obvious. Um, But I never would have thought about it. I never would have seen it. And now what we've started to do at Greenhouse is we've created this format we call Consciousness and Conversation, which is really just an ongoing kind of open forum for people throughout the company to periodically get together and really just have some open time to discuss what's on their mind. And it may be stuff at work, it may be stuff they're seeing in the news or something happened personally to them, and really just connect with each other on a more personal level to share the fears that they have and maybe the you know the positives that they've seen and just kind of like work with each other as, as people and as humans more so than as coworkers. It's been pretty powerful and amazing and, and definitely was a channel of opening myself up to the perspective of uh, you know, an, um, a, 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 an employee who may come from a different background, who may be, you know, less privileged than me, um, and, and what are the real things that they that I can do to help them? That's quite interesting, actually, and, and it's and that's very brave of you and very vulnerable of you as well to open up an environment and it, and it's giving people a breath of fresh air within the company to talk about what they would like to talk about and what their needs are, especially with the current world issues that are going on. Yeah, and I mean. The, Again, it's, it's, it's such a simple revelation, but like your perspective as a founder and as a CEO and as an executive is like you come into meetings and people have like issues and questions and your job is to kind of direct everyone and make, and make answers. And like that could not have been farther from what was needed. And it was like, I was so worried about it. Uh, I was like, you know, trying to imagine myself being that person who like writes this great manifesto and at the end of it, there's like rousing music and a flag behind me and everyone's like feels good and there's a tear in everyone's eye. I'm like, I can't do that. I'm not that person. I don't have those ideas or oratorial skills. And thank God it turns out that's not what anyone wanted or needed or expected out of me at all. Um, and it was that was like a very self-centered way to think about the, the world was like, how does Dan you know, solve it for us. It's like, no, not at all. It's like what people want is to relate to each other. 
Uh, so I, I was really grateful that that my team showed me that path. And, and why is it so important for founders to have that emotional intelligence um, when when they're growing their company? You know, I mean, I'm a huge believer. It's a central part of what I've built my whole career about and Greenhouse more so than, than any company is like business problems are people problems. Business value is people value. Human capital is business capital. And so there's not really like a, a huge difference between what you're trying to do as a leader of a company and as a, you know, in, in financial terms or business terms from from building an organization that, that, that helps bring in great talented people and get the most out of them. Um, so you can get obedience uh, if you don't, if you don't want to relate to other people, but you can't really get um, enthusiasm. You know, you can't really like, you know, the old, the old joke of uh, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Right. You can't, you can't force people to feel excited to come to work on Monday. You can't, you can't mandate, you know, creativity or problem solving or empathy for customers. And so I would argue that, like, if you're going to build a great organization, a winning company today, there's nothing more central than your ability to, like, relate to other people, understand what makes people tick and put them in a position to do their own best work, um, uh, you know, that they can do. And, and how come emotional intelligence is never spoken on enough within the tech and startup industry? <laughs> well, the old joke is that, you know, you can tell an outgoing engineer by uh, they're the one that stares at your shoes when they're speaking. Right. <laughs> um, I can say that because I'm an engineer. Um, so I, I do think that there are, you know, obviously different people, you know, ha, you know, relate in different ways. But but certainly like within tech, um, you know, there's been a historically like a, a focus on, on tech and uh, on, the, on the ones and zeros. Um, and uh, and I think that I think that obscures some of the deeper some of the deeper meaning and uh, in, in, in how do you build a great company. Um you know, there was recently in, in the news, there was a big controversy at Google when a memo circulated talking about, you know, the differences, differences between men and women and, and the culture at, at Google. Um, but I, I, one of the underappreciated aspects of that issue or the, of, that, of the controversy around that issue that I thought was really, really meaningful was, you know, in the memo, he, he talks about what it takes to be a great engineer and, and, and how that's like, these stereotypically male characteristics more so than female characteristics. I think one of the smartest takes I read about it was, well, look, actually, like that's a very junior way of thinking about the role of, of a software team is really just like punching code into an editor. And the real thing it takes to, to, to build great software is great teamwork uh, and, you know, um, great communication and great empathy for your users and great empathy for the other engineers and the testers on your team and all these things that really requires putting yourself in the mindset of other people. So even something as quote unquote cold, you know, or scientific as, as, as software development is at its core, a social, a social exercise done by the, but done by and for people. Um, so I, I think that there's probably a, a mistaken sort of history and, and, and focus on kind of the, the techie side of tech businesses. But, but I think more, more so than ever, we're seeing that, you know, the, the difference between the winning companies and everyone else are the ones that are able to get the most out of their investment in human capital. Um, and people want to do business with organizations whose values that they, that they relate to. You know, you know, people have lots of choices in the market today. They have a lot of transparency into your organization. 
So if you were my parents' generation, like you didn't always know what the company stood for. You didn't really know who worked there or what they what they were like. Um, and so you did what what you know you, you sort of had this window onto companies that was mediated through like advertisements and, and billboards and and product packaging. But now like every company is fully transparent. Everyone has Glassdoor. Everyone has LinkedIn. Um, everyone has like online review sites of everything all the time. Um, and companies are much more. Um, open or I should say companies are much more vulnerable um, or subject to uh, you know their, their their customers wanting to know who they are and what they stand for that's interesting and, and, and speaking of you know being open and, and a lot of actually a lot of information now is on is on LinkedIn there's tons of reviews on several things how, how would someone hire for emotional intelligence and what would you recommend companies to do with a better job of hiring with this capability? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the the first thing is is just starting by asking the question. Like, you know, this is something important to us. We want to hire for emotional intelligence. I would argue that in most organizations, there is a complete lack of focus on what that actually means. And so, absent that lack of focus, or I, w- I would call it structure, you know, in most companies, it's kind of left up to individual interviewers, individual hiring managers without any conscious conversation, without any any proactive design thinking to sort of make it up as they go. And what you see out of that unstructured approach is that the kind of default habits, or you could say implicit bias of the individuals involved tends to have more impact on the on the on the results than on any kind of conscious attitude. And so people have certain you know beliefs about folks that I've worked for that have gone to certain schools or folks that look a certain way um, or folks that say certain things or know how to answer certain kinds of questions in certain ways, those are the ones that we ought to hire. And I would say that the, the most important thing you can do to try to get a better hiring outcome is to be much more clear about defining what you're looking for and then specifically craft your hiring process to assess on that. So I would say if you say, hey, it's really important to us to hire for high emotional intelligence like be really clear what that means have a conversation with your team because i guarantee you if you have six people on your team that are all interviewing candidates if you don't talk about what does emotional intelligence mean to you what do we mean by that what are we actually looking for everyone will have different ideas about it and then once you've clarified what you're looking for and defined it more clearly then you can talk about okay how do we interview for that and basically what i would say at, at a high level is you know, the, the sort of simplest technique I can think of would be something called a behavioral interview. Right? A behavioral interview is an interview where you design it around the question of like, tell me about a time when. And so if I want to find someone who is good at empathizing with other people, I would ask them to tell me about a time when they've had to be, uh, you know, particularly empathetic to someone or solve a problem by seeing things from other perspectives or where they failed to see things from other perspectives because you can learn who someone is through the ways that they failed as well, similar to the questions you've asked me today. Um, and then really dig in with like incisive follow-up questions. Why did you see it that way? Why did the other person not understand you? How did you overcome that problem? What have you done better since then? And if you ask these really detailed questions about their past, rather than hypothetical questions about the future, how would you handle an angry customer? Everyone knows the answer to that. Oh, I'd be really nice to them. I'd solve their problem. I'd get back to them quickly. It may not be who they really are, but they know how to answer the interview question. So I would say focusing on kind of their past behavior and digging in on like behavioral interviewing is has been shown to be a really effective way to kind of get at that type of personality trait. 
And, and this is a question I have for all my founders at the end of the interviews, Daniel. Um, if you can tell your younger self advice before the start of any venture you had, including Lab 49, what would it be and why? Uh, keep, keep trying. <laughs> keep working at it. Um, the things that you're expecting to be uh, successful at will always be harder and like more mildly disappointing than you imagine. But that sources of like unimaginable joy will come from very unexpected places. So keep trying and you never know where the great stuff's going to come from. Daniel, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. It's greatly appreciated. And for our listeners, again, anyone looking for an amazing and robust ATS, I'll provide the greenhouse.io link within the description. I would also like to thank our sponsors, Go Moment and Quake Venture Capital, for this would not be possible. This is Samai again from the Unsexy Startup and signing out.